This week on Mike Coscarelli Rules, is there finally a light at the end of the tunnel for the pandemic? Why are Bruce Springsteen and President Obama doing a podcast? And comedian J.L. Covan joins me to discuss influencer culture and whether or not Donald Trump was actually bad for comedy. That's a tease. And this is Mike Coscarelli Rules. He is so cute. <laughs> Mike Coscarelli? Mike Coscarelli. <laughs> Mike Coscarelli is here as well. He's the producer for this failing fucking radio show. A big hand for Mike something Italian. Hello and welcome back to Mike Coscarelli Rules. It is I, your host, failed comedian, Mike Coscarelli. Very glad that you're joining me for another episode. As I mentioned in the tease, great show. We have stand-up comedian and famed impressionist J.L. Covan. He's joining the show. Uh, One of my favorite comedians. One of my uh, smartest friends in comedy. Uh, Sort of a big brother to me in a lot of ways. And and, uh, overall, uh, a great guy who's very funny. We have a a great conversation about um, uh, comedy post-Trump. Whether Trump was good for comedy or not, uh, influencer culture, Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen starting a podcast, which we both found to be, um, you know, a bit absurd, but I won't spoil it. I won't spoil what we say, but we have a lot of thoughts on it uh, and it's a lot of fun. We don't have a production piece today. Nothing in the middle. You're going to just hear from me then you'll hear from JL and me. Uh, fun little interview that we did. Uh we have joyous news today, though. It's 50 degrees in New York City, which is amazing. It's been 20 degrees in New York City for the past month to two months. It's been snowing almost every single day. 50 wonderful degrees. And guys, great news. The pandemic is over! Fire it up, son! Pump it up! Yes! Pandemic numbers, finally! Uh, Something optimistic. We have lows for the first time since the fall. Numbers are starting to fall. People are getting the vaccine. Uh, People are obviously staying inside and and perhaps they're used to um, wearing masks and and taking all the precautions that they need. But there seems to finally be a light at the end of the tunnel. And it feels like it's the first time I can say that in literally over a year. And the fact that we started this thing roughly almost to the day a year ago is pretty wild that we've just been inside this entire time and it's been... Uh, you know, we haven't all just committed mass suicides together because it's been fucking tough. But finally, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's starting to get warm out. Uh, you know, after this horrible winter, um, it definitely lifts your spirits a little bit to see that people are indoor dining again in New York City. I think that's starting to happen in other places in the country. Perhaps, you know, Florida, they never stopped. <laughs> but um, it, it finally feels good and it, it feels like hopefully this vaccine is working and, and maybe that's the, the thing that's sort of spearheading this push, but it's unbelievable that just seeing numbers of people dying, going down can make you feel better and make you feel optimistic uh, about the potential for the rest of the year. Because I don't know about you, but I have just been feeling like we were not 
even with the vaccine and all this stuff, things were just looking really bleak for a really long time. And I think maybe part of that was me being completely stuck inside for um, months at a time, you know, but now that the winter is ending and these numbers are going down, it does sort of feel like people are hedging their bets to say that we'll be able to get back to some sort of normalcy by the summertime. That was the projection by the New York Times. There's herd immunity that's in play. Um, I don't think that we'll ever get rid of this virus completely, but it seems like we're coming out of things and things are looking really up. So it's it's finally nice to break some good news on Mike Coscarelli rules. Um, and speaking of news, we have a new segment, a couple new segments that we want to debut. As you remember last week, I introduced you guys to uh, the new associate producer of the show, Miss Ronnie Side, who is joining me now. Ronnie. How we doing? We're doing okay. Where are you at the moment? The last week you were you were in the office, as yep. we say, in the studio, yep. aka my bedroom. Uh, and today you are... I, I'm just a few blocks away in Bushwick. Oh, all right. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like being in the studio, but it's not. Yeah. Um, so we have a couple of things that we have to cover here. First off, last week we we put you, uh, we as we introduced you to people, you had a life dilemma that you wanted to um, ask of the audience to help you solve. And I think that right now it's time to unveil the results of our first ever stupid fucking poll. It's time again for a question. It's the stupid fucking poll. Better than the erection. It's the stupid fucking poll. Trying to hide your erection. It's the stupid fucking poll. We'll ask what we want to know it's the stupid fucking poll we'll ask you what we want to know it's the stupid fucking poll ah yes this week's stupid fucking poll by the way thank you to everybody who sang on that uh my former two former co-workers who clearly just cannot sing uh <laughs> that were asked to do that production piece for uh an old podcast that i did we're recycling uh audio here ronnie this week's stupid fucking you're right this week's stupid fucking poll should ronnie side associate producer of mike coscarelli rules drop out of college drum roll but we don't have a drum roll but what were the results ronnie uh, the results were no. A resounding no. People say that you should stay in school. Now, the question is, what do those fucking people know? Because, exactly. you know. So, but we, I'm going to do what I've always done and yeah. take the opposite of people's advice. Right. Uh, for the listener, to let you guys know about uh, a little more about Ronnie. Ronnie, when we were getting uh, on the Zoom to do this recording just a few minutes ago, uh, Ronnie revealed to me that since she's going home to see her parents across the country in Los Angeles, that she shaved a, a gash into her eyebrow just because. Is that right? Yeah, just because. Just I just thought it would look to give cool. You an idea of- and <laughs> it does. So. <laughs> just to give you an idea of who we're dealing with here. <laughs> Uh, all right. I'm, so, uh, I'm going to do big things. You are say. definitely going to do big things. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully those big things involve making me very rich. Um, let's let's hope so. Uh, so 
to to sort of wrap up our introduction here, uh, here at Mike Coscarelli Rules, we're all about teachable moments. So one of Ronnie's responsibilities as the associate producer, as we discussed last week in our first ever show meeting, was that Ronnie was going to round up some stories and and pitch some things to me. Um, and I, the explanation that I gave Ronnie to 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 give you guys a little peek into you know behind the curtain of how a show is produced or a radio show or a podcast. I was explaining to Ronnie that there are two different types of of radio producing. There is talk radio, which is, and I've done both, but talk radio is more long form. If you're trying to find stories that you want to talk about, you want to find something that you can um, make thought provoking. You can pull out some opinions. You can make people think uh, you can maybe form an argument or a take and then get people kind of um, thinking along with you. And and if it was a radio show, you'd want them calling in to say, hey, yeah, I think uh, de Blasio is a big fat ass or whatever, whatever people are going to say when you throw a topic out there. So you need sort of think pieces or current event stories that you can turn into longer form discussions. Then there's the FM planning. Now in FM radio, if you this is like if you're listening to a radio station in the morning, like Z100 or something in New York City, and these guys they have an, a morning show and they get to really only talk for talk breaks. They get maybe three minutes a pop where they get to talk. So you can't really fit a lot of thought-provoking anything in there. That type of radio producing is, you know, things that you can't... They're things that you saw. That's why a lot of radio stations like that do a lot of stupid news segments, which is like, hey, some lady, you know, fell in a shitter in Australia. Isn't this weird? Woo! Wacky sound effects, wacky sound effects, whatever. So in my... (laughs) In my explanation to Ronnie uh, on the type of stories that we need for this show to try to like generate content, um, Ronnie got completely confused and pitched me the opposite of the things that we need, which are you know, the FM uh, stories, <laughs> the things that don't help us in any way. <laughs> so Ronnie actually picked a handful of them, uh, and we're going to uh, talk about them now in a new segment that we call Ronnie's Roundup. All right, here we go. <laughs> What's the okay, first to be story, fair, Okay, funny that you mentioned that, because the first story I have is, I don't know where this happened, but a woman was nipped in the bum while on the shitter, saying, I got out there, sat down on the toilet, and immediately something bit my butt right as I sat down. So she, sat, she went out to the outhouse, and a, the face of a bear came up and bit her in the butt. The face of a bear? A bear, actually? Face of a bear. An actual bear? An actual bear. I mean, it's news. We don't know. It's news. <laughs> we don't know where this was, though. I. You know what? Let me let me take a look. <laughs> my my guess. This is here, amazing. This is going so much better than I thought. By the way. Oh, <laughs> this is already paying dividends. <laughs> Anchorage, Alaska, in Anchorage, the backcountry of Alaska. Yeah, yeah, that's the type of area where I, you know, getting your ass bit by a bear, toilet or non-toilet, doesn't seem all that surprising. They were in a yurt. 20 miles from the nearest town. Do we know what a yurt um, is? I don't know. Something made out of sticks and wood. Something like that. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Not a stable living situation. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, good. Anything else about this woman who got bit in the ass? Um, I think she's fine. Okay. She's an Alaskan woman, so she, she probably laughed it off. Oh, Tough she said lady. it was bleeding. It was bleeding, but it wasn't super bad. Shannon said. Okay. 
Yeah. All right. So I got on that one. That's pretty good. Yeah. So now let me so, ask you, after now that we've done this first story, do you understand why? <laughs> yeah, I do. I why do. I told you these are the ones to not get? <laughs> no, I do understand, but these are also deeply entertaining, and this is the real news in life. Who cares about elections and whatnot? This not is what me. I want to know. Not most yeah, Americans. Exactly. Yeah. How often does someone get bit in the butt by a bear? Well, in New York, not often, but in Alaska, exactly. maybe more than we yeah. even know. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. I'm going to keep up with an animal theme here. Okay. This next next story. article. Up, we're still up north. We're in Canada. Okay. A seal was seen caught on a stroll or I guess a slide about half a mile offshore on the from the ocean in Canada, just sliding around in the snow on the road in Canada. That's amazing. That's all you got? <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's it. That's that's really the whole news article. There's really not much to it. It's all just right. a video of the seal sliding around. Oh, it's yeah. a video. That's good. It's a yeah, podcast. Yeah, it's a video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we, know, we know I'm not doing a good job already. <laughs> You're not not doing a good job. This is leading to content, which is... And this is what we need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's big news okay. for Canada. They, they're not, yeah, a, they're exactly. not a very newsworthy place. A lot of people mind their own business. Um, you know, so when there's a seal yeah. in town, I guess, yeah, that's big news. No, this was this was breaking news in Canada. Breaking this news. Was, wow. Yeah. Hot guess, off the press. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Good job, Ronnie. Two for yeah. two. I Let's have one, see. I have one one more. This, Only one? This, well, I mean, I have two more. No, do, let's do all I of them. Let's do all of them. Do all of them? Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay, okay. I'll, I'll save the best for last. Okay. So this one, um, a man thinks he's hiding from coronavirus inside of an airport for three months. Mm. So this guy basically hid inside of the Ch- Chicago O'Hare. I think that's the airport. For three months, he stole someone's badge and clothes and just pretended to be an air like a, an employee in the airport for over three months and would just sleep inside it and was dodging coronavirus. He was too scared to go home, so he just stayed in the airport. And he did it say whether he, or not he got sick or anything? No, he didn't get sick, but he did get Good. arrested. Oh, uh, that's so. a shame. Yeah, so he was able to dodge coronavirus, which many of us have not been able to do, but he could yeah. not dodge the Chicago Police Department. Exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, strange times we're living in, Ronnie. I know. It's kind of impressive, to be honest. That's hmm. like Home Alone. That's the modern Home Alone. <laughs> yes. Hiding in an airport where it's like that movie, The Terminal, the Tom Hanks movie, where that yeah. guy gets stuck in the, the airport and has to live there because his country gets dissolved. Imagine. Could you imagine? Imagine going to like Spain and just like they don't let you out of the airport because they're like, uh, Miss Side, uh, America doesn't exist anymore. You'd be like... <laughs> Honestly, what? I'd just uh-huh. grab a glass of wine and be like, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I'm staying. <laughs> Saw that one coming. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, this is my, my personal favorite. Man leaves $5 million in his will to his eight-year-old dog claiming she's a good girl. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. Where was this? Yeah. Um, I think this was actually in Australia. Australia. Wow. So we're going none, yeah. nothing domestic pretty much. Well, a Chicago story is domestic. No. But yeah, guy yeah, in yeah. Australia. Okay. Interesting. I mean, imagine being his kid. You'd be pretty pissed. <laughs> yeah. I, the dog. It's an, an eight-year-old dog. Like, she's on her last leg. Like, you know. Yeah, that's old for a dog, right? Yeah. So What's like, she going to do with five mil? Uh, I don't know. I, what would you do with five mil if you were a dog? Oh, man. 
I would live it up. I would. I would first off. I would. There would be. I'd buy out all the dog parks uh-huh. and just make. I don't even know. I would so totally much food, do that. So many toys. You know what I would do is I would. I would use that money. Here's what I would do. I would use that money to free all the dogs, and then it would just be a dog-dominated world. Are the dogs not free? I feel like the dogs aren't free. Not all of the dogs are free. Some of the dogs are free, but a lot of the dogs are not free. Which dogs aren't free? The ones in the cages, in the shelters. Oh, yeah. I guess you could free those dogs. Yeah. Yeah, because there's no... <laughs> if you're a dog and you show up with some with some cash and you say, I'm going to buy all these dogs. I'm going to adopt yeah. them all. I, I guess there's no way. What are they going to say? Like, they're going to turn the money down? Granted, you are no. a dog trying to you know, buy other dogs and you can't take care of all those dogs. If you're just yeah. one dog on your own, even if you have 5 yeah. million, but this is actually the plot of the next Wes Anderson movie right here. That sounds <laughs> about dog right to pulls me. Up with five mil. Yeah, exactly. The Isle of dogs. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think I have anything else I can say about this. <laughs> What's the no, last that's story? All I have to. That's, that was the last story. Oh, the dog story was the last story. <laughs> Yeah, I had to leave on that. That's it. He he claimed she's a good girl. That's that's just so sweet. Yeah, I that's guess that's why he gave her five mil. There can't be any disputing that he's a no. she's, he's a good girl. No, it's adorable. All right, Ronnie. Well, great job. That was a the first ever installment of Ronnie's Roundup. Potentially the last. We'll see what the response is. Uh, <laughs> we got content out of it. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. good job. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed looking for odd news. I even went as far as to check Science Daily, but couldn't find anything good. No, Science Daily is probably too straight-laced, I would think. Yeah. All I learned was that lemurs are non-monogamous. So. See, that would have been good to know. That would have been good to oh. have on the podcast. Well, lemurs are non-monogamous. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I guess we know now. Yeah. yeah it, it has and they're all, the they're all gay, too. All the lemurs are gay. So it's great. It's the whole being a lemur is just the life. Yeah. It's like the West Village over there in, in lemur yeah, exactly. land. <laughs> all right. Ronnie side, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'd say that we don't need to waste any more time on this introduction. You guys get the gist of, of how this show went this week. <laughs> uh, coming up, JL Covan. But before we get to JL... I need you to do a couple things. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Tell a friend. Come on. You gotta me and Ronnie are we're fighting for table scraps here. We need to get we need to get paid. Uh so please let somebody know if you think this podcast is fun to listen to. We tend to think it is. So um and also uh, interact with us, social media. We post, a, you know, now we're doing the stupid fucking poll all over the place on my Instagram account, um, which is at Mike Coscarelli, both Instagram and Twitter. I've been tweeting again. I'm getting depressed, so I'm writing more than ever. <laughs> so <laughs> now is the time to follow me on Twitter because the content is getting pretty good. Uh, and you can find Ronnie Side on Instagram at Ronnie Side. If you have any comments for the show, please email us coskrules at gmail.com if you want advice from either of us me and Ronnie we can give you guys advice might not be good advice Ronnie just shaved some hair off of her eyebrow for no apparent reason so you know if that's the type of person you want advice from by all means let it rip and we got you Uh, (laughs) I'd say that's about it for us right now we'll see you on the other side with JL Covan in just a few seconds Thank you.
All right, everybody, welcome back to Mike Coscarelli Rules. I'm joined now by one of my favorite people in the world. Some could say an old, uh, semi-older version of me, ne- a near-future <laughs> version of me. Uh, <laughs> the curmudgeon that I aspire to be is joining me right now. He's a stand-up comedian. Uh, he's the host of Making Podcasts Great Again. And he's the world's greatest impressionist. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to put it out there because I, I believe it's 100% true. I really do believe it. JL Covan joins me right now. JL, thank you for being here, my man. So kind of you to say that. Great to see you. And, and great to see one of us has uh, gotten healthy during this uh, trying time. You, you look great. Um, I'm thank you. Following, uh, I'm fo- trying to follow in the footsteps of Patrice O'Neill that if I can't have his career, mm-hmm. I will have his death. <laughs> Well, listen, man. I'm 41, one I'm gotten, 41 and uh, overweight. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's dreams you're, can come you're true. Not, you are not. You, oh, my God, dude. The, the idea that you can even see Patrice O'Neill and think physically that's what I look like is insane <laughs> to me. You don't look like Patrice O'Neill. Are you kidding me? Well, my, my <laughs> girlfriend, who you know, my girlfriend, who you know, did for the yep. first time give me a look of, I felt like it was objective disgust rather than playful. <laughs> My lover thinks I'm kind of out of shape. It was more like she uh-huh. looked at me the way somebody might look at just a fat stranger. Uh, yeah. So, so I definitely am. I'm, I'm, I'm now. I had some green tea. Uh, I'm, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm on the way back. <laughs> Listen, man. I, 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 the pandemic was, did wonders for my health because with all the stress that I had, I don't know how anxious you get but we'd always talked about like being younger and in shape and running and, and you were always one of the people who was warning me at first too do you remember this where you were just like you're like man when i was 28 i would go run through the streets of manhattan i looked like the rock yeah and i would run in the mornings with without a like without a shirt on it was awesome he's yeah, like just nipple and then i got fat saying what's yeah. up ladies <laughs> <laughs> and then you you kept telling me for months you were like don't get your like do not let that happen to you like don't get fat you have to like be running through the streets like the rock no, I was um, I was the half black Rudy janitor uh, telling you about how things really were and rooting for you to to get that sack in a game at Notre Dame. Yeah, you were my Robin Williams to uh, Goodwill Hunting. It's not okay. It's not. It's yeah. my fault. It's not your fault. It's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man. I might have gotten healthy, but you got extremely successful. Um, one of the things that I wanted to, to start with was obviously when you and I were becoming friends, I was working on making podcasts great again, which is you host with Jay Nog, who, by the way, who is Jay Nog kidding in these zoom videos with the bookshelf behind him? Jay can't read. <laughs> Are, d- 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 am I wrong? <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, I, I think he read a Jordan Peterson book. That okay, all right. Well, that's something I guess. <laughs> I think the lobster, shut up, you creepy gray Canadian. <laughs> uh when we started becoming friends obviously like i had i had known who you were for a while because you were you know you had this it's, it's cookie cookies barking <laughs> cookies barking she, good she, to see you cookie yeah she 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 misses you she she just let me know she wishes she could she could rape you on a carpet <laughs> i love the days when cookie would jump up and and just completely scratch my nuts off my body and <laughs> and, and bite my stomach <laughs> good to see you cookie um when we started becoming friends, like I, one of the reasons that I took on the, the, the gig to, to work with you guys on that show is because I knew who you were. I thought you were super funny. And I, uh, you had had some videos on YouTube where you were doing uh, Louis C.K., and, uh, which was like iconic. You, know, you had a, a lot of these things that were going around and people knew you in the scene as like one of the funniest guys around. Um, but as we got 
to know each other really well, you coined something that I thought it always made me laugh because I felt very similarly, but the JL jinx, uh, you talked for for years about the JL Jinx. <laughs> yeah. So, and the JL Jinx is sort of a, a cousin to the Coscarelli curse. They're like in the same family. Uh, explain to the audience your thinking with the JL Jinx. Like, what what got you to the point where you were coining this um, this sort of mindset where you were like, I I always get so close, but I'm yeah. like, just so no cigar, like so close, but no cigar. What had gotten you there? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it started when I got my first late night credit early in my career, uh, mm. 2000, late 2007, um, late, late show with Craig Ferguson. I crushed the set and a month after I crushed that and they're like, yeah, we'd love to have you back. That's how it usually works. Like, this isn't me saying I crushed it. Like I did so good. Cause my 18 friends who sweat me said I crushed, mm. I murdered that shit. <laughs> so a month later, the new wave, uh, entertainment who at the time was like repping uh dane cook and they eventually mm. became comedy dynamics like they became new wave dynamics and right. comedy dynamics and went into the which content. at the time too dane like dane cook now i feel like you say that name and people were like oh man but like like remember when dane cook but this was dane cook was kevin dane hart cook. dane cook was kevin hart without the movies like he right. was the kevin hart stand-up portion of kevin right. hart's career which is millions and millions of dollars in right. arenas and this um, had and, to be around like close to the time where dane cook was as at his peak right he he was the the peak was starting to, he was still a cash cow but this is when he was started to put like that that one where he did like basically an open mic in boston in front of right. twenty thousand people like i forget in the in the round it's called, yeah. like whatever he called it but it was like, rough, rough around the edges in your face <laughs> Um, rough around the edges because it yeah. was like, he literally was like, what if I could brand an open mic in front of 20,000 people as right. a thing? Right. And that was the beginning of the end. Um, I, I shouldn't say beginning of the end, but you know, the, the end of his dominance. Yeah. Um, but so they, you know, my, they fired my manager who I had never even signed a deal with, but he was definitely somebody who was really working hard on my behalf and believed in me. Mm. Um, they fired him and I had a choice, which was, do I go with him? But he was just fired and that feels weird. I think I should just stay with the big outfit. Like I'm a young comedian. I have the, this, this big agency. Mm. They assigned me to some other woman who definitely like wasn't feeling me, which okay. I don't know why that's relevant. Like it is about money, I would think, but she really didn't. I, don't, I just don't think I was her cup of tea as a, as a yeah. comedian. And in that space, the writers strike. So then they let me go. They were like, yeah, we think you should check some, like, look somewhere else. Uh, and that quest has continued for 13 years. Um, <laughs> but in that space, I was having communications with the Late Late Show about doing another appearance. Right. Alone. This go. is without, like, a, a rep. Right. Wow. Um, and then the writer's strike happens. So that put all that on freeze. In that time, I lose the representation, the connection. And then they just never return my emails. Now, right. if I was an asshole who like just believed the hype. I would be like, maybe I wasn't that good. I crushed that set. Like, <laughs> but this just showed like having no connection. It was like, it didn't even matter. It was like, you know, I've been on the show. I'm not like some guy who's just like, oh, could you watch my tape? Please? Yeah, can right. you watch my tape from your fucking show? Right, 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 <laughs> That's right. My, oh, you That's need my a tape. set from me? Uh, here, 
here. Yeah. It's me on your show. Yeah, yeah. Can go I into the back? archives. Just go into the film room. <laughs> right. It's there, labeled JL. <laughs> so that's the first. That's the first glitch. Um, the next one was Patrice O'Neill, uh, the aforementioned Patrice O'Neill, who mm. asked for me to MC for him. I MC'd for him at the DC Improv three months before Elephant in the Room came out, and then he asked for me back, like four or five months later at the DC improv to host. Mm. I had relatives in the, in the area. So it wasn't a matter of like, Oh, it's too expensive. I was just like, of course, Patrice O'Neill wants to work like actually asking for me to come back and MC for him. I'm right. there. Right. Paid me. Which was not com- common from what right. the legend says. Right. And he, he was, he thought I was in DC. He didn't realize. Cause I was like, I'm just a guy who's going to, I'll go wherever. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm that guy who's like, if I can make eight cents profit on a gig, I consider that a win. There. Yeah. <laughs> but he asked for me back. He had watched some of my stuff before I worked with him the first time, which was a great compliment. He was like, I love that Rocky. I like, he didn't say I love. He said, I like that Rocky bit you do. And I go, oh, I didn't do that. He goes, yeah, mm. but I checked out your shit before we worked together. And I was like, what, what a compliment. He ripped me in a friendly way. It was just, it was one of those guys where I said, finally, there is a headliner and this, at this point, I'm seven years in. Here's a headliner who is of big enough ego and big enough physical stature mm. to not look at me like, oh, this big, tall guy with the law degree, he's fine, blah, blah, blah. He, he, everybody was beneath him. So he could look sure. at me in a mentor, I maybe can help you way, or like I can offer advice the way most headliners were just like, good working with you, good stuff, you'll be all right. You know what I mean? Like there's right. this, this assumption yeah. that if you're not like some 25 year old sucking their dick going like, um, uh, can you maybe help me? Yeah. That yeah. You like have it together. And it's like, no, I'm going back to my part-time day job, hoping to break through as a comedian. But Patrice had just a different vibe. And I, I, my whole thing, I've never asked somebody in my life if I can open for them. I feel like that's like asking if I'm invited to the wedding. It might be right. an old school approach. Cause I know a lot of people who ask, Hmm. I don't ask. Um, but with Patrice, I was going to ask. He had, a, he had an opener, Harris Stanton, who was his friend. I was going to say, I'm not trying to be your opener. I'm not, that's Harris. But if he can't make a gig, would you consider me as like a fill-in if you want somebody you know? He might have said yes. He might have said no. But the fact is he did ask me on his own to come back and MC. So hmm. I thought there's my opening to do it in a legit way. And then he had a stroke and eventually died before, right. right? Like shortly after our second time working together. So that's piece two. Yeah. And then from there, there's just a series of near hits and misses. I have the Louis CK video go viral. I have a few meetings with managers. They don't go anywhere. I think because I was too honest, I kept saying a lesson to any comedians listening to this. Honesty is your worst enemy. Yeah. <laughs> The guy asked me, what do you want to do with your career? And I said, I see myself as like a left of center Corolla, who I have great respect for, even though I I can't stand the man's politics. Mm. Um, I think he's really funny. And I would love to do that. I would love to have a podcast with a quarter of a million listeners and headline clubs. And if if I can accomplish that, any agent would be like, I'll take take 10% of $2 million. Why wouldn't I? But I think when you're meeting people at first, I think the real answer the guy wanted was, um, do you know The Rock? <laughs> and do you know Kevin Hart? And have you heard of Barack Obama? I'm looking for like a movie, TV, book writing, podcast empire that's sort of like a combo of all those, but more. Yeah, right. And then they're like, oh, that's $500 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, yeah. it's like, no, I just want to be a successful entertainer. Is that not good enough for you? Like are realistic, right. but still... 
those are still ambitious goals. To, to be the left of center uh, Adam Carolla is, yeah. is not just something you snap your fingers and it's like, oh, anybody can do that. Well, right. <laughs> it's also, it's, it's like, is your aspiration really to be, I, as much as, no shade to Kevin Hart, but I don't think, I don't know a lot of people that, that uh, even just around New York or whatever, who were like, I want to be in Jumanji. That's what I want to do. Like, I, I want to be. Jumanji, though, to be honest. I, I liked movie, it, yeah. I, I liked it. Totally. Uh, and I'm not even, I'm not shading, any, but yeah. Kevin Hart is the perfect example of this guy, like to your whole point, like he, it seems like he will do anything for a big ass paycheck, you know? Right, like, like, it's so good, like artistic integrity. And I know it's easy to say this, but I really do have it. <laughs> yeah, no, you totally do. Yeah. <laughs> he does credit card commercials. Yeah, I was going to say. And I'm just like, yeah. dude, you make $80 million a year the righteous way. Like you're a movie star and comedian. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Like, and to, to people, we have gotten to this place. And a friend of mine once told me, and if anybody wants to read 3,000 words on this uh, thing, uh, my new blog at jlcomedy.com <laughs> does just that. A friend of mine many years ago told me that young people coming up, maybe even people your age at the time, at like, the time, like, you know, yeah, I was people say. in their, you know, in their young 20s, because <laughs> I was told this a while ago, uh, that Kim Kardashian had sort of changed people's mindsets. Like, it's about being famous and an influencer. Like, fame is the goal, and it's, it's not – for me, if I ever got the career I wanted, I would be famous. Right. But it's not because I want fame. I'd be happy to just be a working comedian with, like, a good YouTube, maybe a, a TV show in the works. But, like, I'm not – I don't need any of the fame with hmm. it. But I feel like if I ever got my, my moment, fame would come. Just like with the Trump impression, fame, some level of fame came with that. Right. But it was just because the impression was good, not because I was out there going like, I'm going to do a serious post right now. Hey, guys, we need to really pause and realize what, like, when a comedian goes viral for a non-funny thing, it makes me want to kill myself. I know, dude, it's so funny that you bring this up. I hadn't planned on talking about this, but this has been something that I, especially in the pandemic, I... It, in my case, I'm no longer a comedian. So I'll do some serious stuff all day. Maybe a video of me playing guitar or whatever. I'm single, trying to get chicks, whatever. But uh, <laughs> do you like Shit's Creek but wish he fucked women? <laughs> I mean, I'm your guy. Gotta be, that's got to be killer for you. It's like, oh my God, do you wish you were Stevie when, 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 uh, when Dan Le- Levy was still experimenting with women on season one of Shit's Creek? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, it's literally, it's, it's the only thing I got right now. We have the same eyebrows same face at this point and now that i've lost the weight it's it's we're pretty much uh, uh indiscernible but this idea of of um instagram and, and influencer culture with craft being utterly ancillary has absolutely taken over comedy to where and tiktok you're starting to see it now too where oh people my God. people when i i was one of the last waves of people that were starting in comedy where um I was told, like, you just go get funny, go get on stage, go like do a million spots, write something. (laughs) Oh, it's such a lie. Because the people (laughs) that came up right after me, like literally the half a generation behind me, the the strategy shifted into brand management. You know, what's your brand? What type of comedian are you? What type of whatever? And it has always been like that. Let's be honest. It's it's, just never been in your face. Like Sam Kinison had a brand. Robin Williams had a brand. Eddie Murphy, they had brands, but their brand wasn't necessarily like... Their brand was their art. Like what they did became their their brand. It wasn't, I'm cultivating this brand because it is... Like I, I always laugh when I'm on TikTok. I always make jokes about like all the single moms in Florida shaking their tits for likes. And when people <laughs> yeah. will be like, 
um, to my haters and I'm like, you don't have haters because you don't do anything. You have trolls. A troll is somebody who says a mean thing. A hater is someone who attacks someone who's got something. You don't actually have, like- There's nothing to tear down. Yeah, you don't actually have anything or do anything. There's a, there's a good movie on HBO Max right now that I really enjoyed called Fake Famous, mm. um, which is about like an experiment to create three influencers in LA, like out of whole cloth to just- Is take, it a doc? Like, yeah, it's, but okay. it's really fun. And, and, and it, without being as mean as I would, it really taps into this kind <laughs> of like how pathetic and stupid so much of this stuff is in terms of people are chasing, like fame itself is the goal. That's so yeah. weird. Yeah. Like it's so weird to be like, I, I want to be an influencer. I want to, I want to spread my message, but you don't have a message. You're just yeah. like, it's so, it's so weird, but it's, but it's, it's somehow it's like working for people and they will compliment these influencers and go, they actually work really hard. I'm like, of course they do. I've worked hard to get to this point by doing comedy right. and writing. And now the hard work is over for me because I'm good at what I do. Now it's about getting seen and I can continue to do what I've worked on. But if you don't have a skill set or a talent, of course you have to work hard because you have to convince all these people that you as a nothing are worth consuming. Right. So like you have to put in all this work to invent a thing because yeah. you don't actually do anything. Yeah. Well, it's weird. I, I kind of feel like in a weird way, um, I've always thought that some of the shift started with Jay-Z. And I'm not saying that because I like Jay-Z is one of my favorite artists, period. I think that he is like an actual artistic genius, sure. especially in his craft. He has like vision, he has taste, mm-hmm. uh, and he's clearly a step above almost every other rapper, really, because he has those things. Um, but he's the first guy that I can remember, at least in, in my lifetime, modern times, where he took the art and then he was also like, it's not, it's not fully enough. Like we, I have to be a businessman, but I also have to like, I have to control all the marketing. I know what's right for my brand. I know what's right for, like, I know the best way to get it to these people. And, you know, I'm sure there's elements of embellishment in some of the stories that he's told about his come up, but like, by all accounts, he is the guy that sort of made the art, but also figured out the way to sell the art and and all that stuff. And I talk about art and commerce on this show a lot because it's something I think that you can relate to this when you're good at the, the actual thing, like in your case, comedy impressions, whatever, in my case, broadcasting, whatever, uh, if I can, uh, you know, (laughs) be so arrogant as to say, um, the other thing, I'll allow it. uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) The packaging and selling of the the art, I, I I feel like in our case, I think that part of the issue is just like we have this thing that's really good and we are like just clueless on how to get it to people until obviously like for you this year, what was the video that hit? Because we had known for a while that your Trump impression, like I, I was telling people that I knew because I was pitching you for things and some of the other stuff that I worked on where I was like, listen, if you need a Trump person like a trump impersonator i was like jl because people would tell me and and again not to throw shade at anybody specifically but like that guy who was doing the president show who was doing the trump impression everybody you're doing it (laughs) yeah that was the go-to where everybody's like well that's the guy who does the impression but it's like he just had the proper channels it's not that it's like necessarily to be fair he's he's the one guy i kind of like because even though i'm sure there's some sort of unspoken rivalry because at least 
there's a lot of impersonators out there who really sold out and were willing to do like I got offered a gig. Here's art and commerce. Yeah. I got offered to do a gig, which I assume would have been a very high value gig, um, a fundraiser in Idaho for a thousand people where Candace Owens was going to be the, the featured speaker. And she's not, she's not, a, she's not cheap. I'm sure. I bet. Yeah. And so they wanted me to do that. And I was like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, on, and people were like, well, why don't you go and roast them? And I'm like, cause I'd like to come back alive. <laughs> and also people were saying, well, why don't you like how much money? Like how much, and I was like, there is no money I would do that for. Like, I don't like, sometimes I think people, and this was the, the poll about the Kardashians, which was young people not understanding what the term sellout meant. Right. Like, because now there is no sellout because fame and, and money are the goals Right. So how can you be selling out if your goal is to get what used to be side effects of pursuing right. your talent? Now the right. talent is irrelevant. And I just said no. And I know like Adam, the guy from the president show, Anthony, I know yeah. he's a guy who put his guts into, the, into what he produced. Whether you think his is better or worse than mine, I could tell he was not, uh, he was not separating uh, himself from the art, like not going, Hey, this is not political. It's like, why yeah. not? Right. Why are you a coward? Why right. are you like, and I you know, there are other impersonators who take the extremely cowardly path with right. it. And somebody took that gig. <laughs> right. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I there, actually, cause how many fucking Trump impersonators I, I actually are there? called who would take it. And then like a month later, it was like the person posted on Facebook. That they oh were man. To and I was like, I was like, <laughs> um, on the back for that one. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was like, I was like, I know who's taking this gig. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's and like, they blocked you know. me on Twitter when I started blowing up in April for no reason other than, I guess they were just tired of seeing me just jealous. Just yeah. Yeah. Accolades. Yeah. So what was the video that finally, that was like the first yeah, one that it, went super viral. Yeah, this I mean, was kind of like weirdly. This was like the marketing plan for making podcasting great for for like <laughs> the entire time. It was like the three you, me, and then Jay would sit in the room, and Jay would just be like, "We just got to get like a video yeah. to go viral," and then like all of a sudden, boom, we're on the road, and it's all good. And you and I were just sitting there, Chicks just like whatever. Our dicks while yeah. JL is talking like Trump. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but the uh, no, it was uh, and Jay never said that he's a happily married man. That was just yes, no, joshua. yeah, let's not incriminate um, him. <laughs> but the it was the one on March twenty fourth, the day that uh, changed my life probably for the worse. Uh, as we as we get to this point in time, <laughs> okay, not not my bank account, but my life. Okay, um, it was March twenty fourth, and I did this. It was, and I I shit you not, it was the worst vocal Trump I did all year. Like I was like. This is Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and people lost it. And I was like, that wasn't even that good. And it got like 7 million hits. It's good. The content was good. But vocally, I still listen back to it. And I was like, I didn't even really have it that day. Yeah, right, right. And I didn't have the fastball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's yeah. like pitching I'm a perfect game on, a, on LSD. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually throwing 98 on the inside corner. This was like 91 yeah. out over the plate. Yeah. And so, but people, the people were like, this is amazing. It, it just kept going and going and going. And, um, it did, it changed. I mean, you know, not that I don't want to like cameo. Laura had to tell me to get on cameo. I was like, I literally was like, I'm not doing cameo. What do you think yeah. I am? 
And then I was like, all right, people keep asking for cameo. So what I do is with my cameo messages, I do like five minute like stories with the facts they give me. So I, I don't feel like I'm worth what I charge, but I'm going to try. Right. You know, the market is telling me I'm worth that much. So I'm going to give my best effort. But I made, I made six figures on, on cameo in, in God bless eight you. and a half months. <laughs> <laughs> my YouTube blew up. I had money from like a Silicon Valley guy to build up that second Trump channel and I'm working with them on something else. Now that was all great. And I gave, like I gave the amount of money to charity last year, what I usually make an, in comedy in a year. Cause I yeah. made, like, and it, it felt great, but what, what killed me and what's killing me right now is the critical mass of dumb comedy fans that I picked up because they were like, oh, Trump, I can make jokes about Jeff Epstein and Donald Trump double teaming a, a, a Girl Scout. And they're like, oh, you're so naughty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I made a joke about like Lane Bryant filing for bankruptcy chapter 12 to 24. And people were like, delete that. That's fat shaming. And I'm like, what is going on? Right, right. And that. I had so many jokes like that where I was like, oh, you're not. And, and I, I'm sorry for rambling, but like one of the things that I, I, I figured this year is the right, like right wing comedians tend to act like they're all above politics and they're not playing politics. Like they're just out there as edgy, funny truth tellers. Yeah. But there is a repetition to the right wing comedians as well, which is like 60% of my commentary is about how cancel culture sucks. And I'm yeah. like, well, that's not really a joke either. <laughs> like, you're yeah, right. just tell your jokes. Like, you yeah. can be, have a perspective, but it's become this, the, the left hates comedy, but is dictating comedy terms. I mean, no shade, but Sarah Cooper was like the, the choice of comedy among MSNBC, but right. not necessarily the comedy seller. <laughs> right, and right. which one? Which won out? Obviously, the sort of the, the political tastes of the time won. Yeah. And once again, good for her. But it was like, as a, com as a real comedian, it was really disturbing for me to see what was getting sort of elevated. And now we have a, a lot of very basic front-facing character comedy, yeah. which is like, if you can't do an impression, invent somebody who you can then talk about like in your own voice. Right. And that will be your character. Yeah. Now you're doing character comedy. And I'm what, what my point is, and I'm sorry for rambling, because now you just like it's, open the floodgates for me to just bitch. It's fine. No, year. this is perfect. I'm unprepared. A, so this is I made great a for me. shit ton of money last year. I made, yeah. I'm talking, I've been an associate at a, a big law firm and I made more than double last year, the most money I've ever made in a single year in my life. It was a tremendous year. It, it gives me a, some safety, but it, it has bothered me more because a year ago, year and a half ago, I moved to Jersey and I was mm. like, comedy is going to be a hobby. I'm gonna, I wrote a pilot uh, my first five months out here, just going to the library on the weekends. And I found some satisfaction and some peace in that. I said, I, nobody can ever accuse me of not giving it my all for comedy. Right. I have the respect of, of some very big time comedians some mid-level comedians so like nobody who knows can ever question whether i was good or whether i gave the effort and i was coming to peace with that then this <laughs> and <happened>. then <laughs> then this happened and it really recharged my belief that oh my god 
I might actually get recognized for, for how good I am. And of course, the pivot was very difficult. I'm like, if you like the comedy behind the impression, check out my other 30 impressions and check out my six right. stand-up albums, a seventh coming in 2021, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you're trying to show people that you're a renaissance man because you, you, I don't want to be Trump all the time. And I don't right. have to be. Like I've worked too hard at the other things. Now I get it. Some people just like their simple social media content or impressions. That's okay. No, you're entitled to like what you like, but it's been very disheartening to see what's been elevated as genius. And cause I'll always stand up comedians, whether I agree with them or not, are always going to have good stand up comedians will always have my sort of primary comedy respect then yeah. comedy writers, and about 98th on the list will be front-facing character <laughs> comedy. And or it's- lips, TikTok lip syncers. <laughs> no, that's an abomination. That's, 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 that can go straight back to the depths of hell where it came yeah. from. Um, but the, the idea to see myself producing by, by YouTube's measure, 12, this is not counting the weekly 45-minute podcast as Trump. I produced 12 hours of original content in eight months on YouTube between the videos, mostly, mostly as Trump, but yeah. literally I, sh- I put together a sketch reel of 20 other impressions I did in right. videos and sketches just last year. To see that treated as like, and now people treat me almost like a jukebox. It's almost that like they take just, for granted. They're like, do yeah. a Ted Cruz. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. working on one, but like, can you enjoy the six I just gave you? Like, right, this is- right. This isn't a, 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 you know, a fucking Brazzers live show where you're like, put it in your <laughs> mouth now. <laughs> a Brazzers live show is not where I thought we were going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm with you. That's right. See, this is the problem. I think a comedian on the right who thinks, oh, PC, lib, he hates Trump. They'll, people who see me do stand-up know I'm the real deal. Whether you think yeah. I'm great or good, they know I'm the real deal. And then I leave my politics almost entirely off stage. Mm-hmm. But I'm entitled to have my political beliefs also and satirize what I want to satirize. It's so, but you find that unless you're embracing now the, the, the hard right sort of free speech and fuck your feelings, like, and I'm going to spend half my set complaining about libs instead of just doing jokes. To me, that's just as bad. Maybe not for comedy, but it's like you're also falling victim to the kind of politics ahead of comedy. Yeah. But on the left, where I've gained so many fans, I don't think there are actually that many comedy fans. I think they like to laugh, and it sounds good to say, I like laughing. I love comedy. No, you probably don't. You may like laughing, and you may have very limited tastes, and that doesn't make you a bad person. Like I say, I always tell people, I will never tell you what you need to laugh at. I'm not going to be one of those guys like, I'm funny, fuck you. It's like, if you don't like my comedy, so be it. Don't buy a ticket. That's okay. Right. I don't want everybody to like me. Yeah. But, but they jump very quickly to that, don't do that joke. This is a bad take. Like, I've been doing my Dave Chappelle impression because he's all of a sudden become spoken fucking Henry Rollins with lung cancer. <laughs> and well, well, now that's, you know, George Floyd, dude, are there jokes coming? I get it. I think George Floyd was horrible too. I think uh, Comedy Central, you should fire your agent before you like, you know, go after Comedy Central for making a deal in 2003 where they give you plenty of money. But now that's the thing. That's the thing. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tell you what I think because (laughs) it's not right. It's not right. Here is a 10 minute Instagram speech 
that I'm calling a special. It's called a special. It's called a special. Right. And I had somebody say like, dude, bad take. Like he's do, And I'm like, bad take. Since who are you? Like these people who are always telling me, I'm like, I've been fine. My work speaks for itself. Like who? Like I hate well, also like, it's like bad, bad take. Who are you? Do. Yes. This is the same thing with like podcast reviews or whatever. You ask somebody for notes and they, I asked this girl for, um, I've been trying to like um, sort of grassroots get people to listen to the show. So literally like I, I, I'm like spilling over whatever like guys be fucked fans that know who I am and just like asking them like directly, hey, can you, can you please give my podcast a chance? And there was a girl who, who uh, she's like, yeah, I'm, I work in marketing or whatever. Like maybe I can help you do whatever. I was like, that'd be awesome. Like give me some notes. I, I would love to hear your thoughts. She writes me back this like five paragraph Instagram DM that's like, well, this, when you do this here, this, I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't need this. Like I, I've been in broadcasting for 11 years. Like I right. understand how to do this. I need help with the other stuff, but like, I'm, right. I'm glad you like the show and I'm glad that like, I do appreciate constructive criticism from everybody, but now with this do it yourself, um, uh, climate that we live in with content period, everybody fucking thinks that they like know how to do all of these things yeah. you know comedy not you know excluded it's like these things where they they see it maybe they hear like an inside track on how some of these things work behind the scenes because when i was coming up and stand up wtf existing led to so many people who knew nothing about comedy and had never tried it and had never even been around it all of a sudden we're like yeah man well that's just like the process of a stand-up comedian and like that's what like they were talking in this way that they had been around it their whole lives. It's just like, right. what are you guys talking about? Like, you right. don't, you haven't done this. You don't know what this is like. And you don't know, like, you don't know how to format anything, a joke or a, 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 a podcast or, or any of these things. It's like, you remember a few you think it's easy. What? When Jack Nicholson yells, like you ever, you ever man a post you ever got like when he's like starting to interrogate. Yeah. Tom a few Cruise. good men. That's how I yeah. feel about comedy. It's like, you ever gotten on stage, you ever written right. a joke have like, you I'm been to Albany for a hundred dollars? Because right. I have, it sucked. <laughs> right, Man, Albany was pretty good. Um, <laughs> All right, Syracuse is even better. They have a cheesecake factory in their mall, so <laughs> I always look forward to my Syracuse trips. But you know, and and if you're looking for jinxes, obviously Sarah Cooper felt like a jinx because I kept telling my friends, I was like, I don't know how this is gonna fuck up, but it'll fuck up. They're like, No, dude, this is your break. Yeah, and like a month and a half later, it was like, you know, the amount of accusations I got of stealing from her. Lip syncing, like, yeah. I was like, we are, if I need to find dummies on the right, I can just look at 75 million people voted for Trump. Right. If I need to see dummies on the left, I just have to look in my mentions for comedy critiques. Right. Um, yeah, read Vulture for five minutes. Yeah, and it was one of those things where it was like, you're stealing from a black woman. And I was like, okay, my dad was Haitian. Does that make you feel, do you now get a progressive merit badge for supporting a half black comedian? Right. Oh, you thought I was Adam Sandler. So you thought I was exercise. I was, I was a white devil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, I don't know, but another jinx was, uh, and I'm not making light of this, but like I did WTF uh, in May mm. and it was in the, the episode was in the can and then Marin's girlfriend passed away. Oh, so he man. took like yeah. time off. And then when he came back to post my episode, he deleted on purpose um, the 20 minute conversation we had with me as Trump. So like oh. the whole focus of pitching my album and me, it, because he thought the tone was wrong and that's his mm. right. But I just thought 
if this had gone up right away before there had been other issues with Trump and obviously personal issues. So I was just right. like, so I just did WTF and yeah. got 15 minutes instead of 40. Right. You yeah, know I, I mean? know, So man. it was like, I would have rather like not done it and just waited a little longer so I could have had a more impactful episode. But we are, I am, I am, comedy depresses me so much right now um, on all fronts um, because I know there is too much PC bullshit, but at the same time, there's also this like, it's becoming very, people talk about the country being divided. I feel like comedy is being divided really badly and mm. it's like, it's not helping the comedy. And I mean that on both sides. Like I know the more right-wing libertarian people think that they're still out there just fucking delivering the goods. Yeah. But there's a lot of whining and bitching and not as much comedy. And like, I've even seen good comedy creators who their stuff starts to seem a little repetitive because they're only going after like one angle. So even if it is funny and people could say about me, like you did Trump for nine months, like daily, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. But like I've sketched out a sketch pilot, like an hour long sketch show. And one of the sketches is like the Twitter comedy club which is like, yeah. what if you were trying to do stand-up in a club that reacted like Twitter? But another one is the Candace Owens dating show where she's like the bachelorette and she's picking between three cops who killed black men. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, but you know what? Like I can put that out if I want to. Not real yeah, no. cops. I don't want to get insensitive to the point of like, I may make it like just abuse charges, not like actual murders and it won't be real victims. But to me, I'm going... Yeah, that might be dark, but it's funny. Like, and right. I'm allowed to have my perspective and like, it's going to hit all over. Not because I'm trying to be fair. Yeah. I just feel like I'm politically left of center, but I'm also, when it comes to comedy, a, a big free speech, go for it type person. But yeah. I believe in those two things for real. Not like I'm picking a side. So like my content will hit both. But in this day and age where everything, including your Twitter feed, becomes curated, if I had just spent my entire year doing Donald Trump sucks, here's a Donald Trump video. By the way, Donald Trump sucks. Here's a Donald Trump video. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably have 300,000 followers. But yeah, as I was going to say closer to like, like a million. Yeah, as soon as I started veering from that, I went from 4,000 to 144,000 in six months. And then it stopped. It, yeah. It froze. It completely froze while other people doing kind of and I don't mean to insult them because a couple of them I do like, doing more one-dimensional stuff just kept climbing. Yeah. And me, it's like, check out my albums. Hey, look at this joke. Hey, this joke has nothing to do with politics. And people, right. all of a sudden, the algorithm started fucking me over. Not just fans, but the algorithm like froze me out because it seems to want people to be one thing and do that one thing or else... Uh, you're not you're not being true to your your place in the twitter yeah universe. the the algorithm is the just the new version of show business and they want you in a specific box because they want to be able to put the content right in front of whoever so they can mine the data and sell right. whatever ads they have to do which makes a lot of sense but it, it's a it's a very strange time for content period because what we consider content now is not fully going back to like the the in, uh, influencer thing that we were talking about. Yeah. Like a lot of people are just like, wow, like you'll get messages from people or I'll get messages from people. Cause I'm not particularly funny anymore, <laughs> but like I'll get messages from people and I'll be like, 
like, oh man, really love your content. I'm like, what content? Do you like pictures of my face? Do you like, what are you telling me that you like? Because I haven't really like done anything if I'm being honest, like at least on Instagram or anything like that, like, like not to, not the behind the scenes stuff that I worked on, but like, there's no real mention. Nobody knows about like, there's not, not a lot of tapes of me doing stand up or anything like that. So what content are you really talking about? You know? And this is the thing I think with comedy specifically going back to the, the Twitter, I remember for a, a, a long stretch of time, especially when he first got elected, people were like, wow, Trump is going to be like so great for comedy, whatever. I have always held the belief that Trump has been very bad for comedy yes. because it's it's also led us to the place that I feel like you were just talking about with Twitter, which is it seems like there's more equity now. And somebody like, you know, I'll name names, Kumail Nanjiani, fucking just like firing off a tweet that's like, um, this is bad. And we're like, we know. Aren't you a comedian, Kamel? You used to be, didn't you? Like, so this is your take? Like, you just have takes now? You don't do right. now your Marvel and, movies? You don't do this at all? And my thing with that, what I, what I tried to say to people is like a lot of celebrities follow me now and I follow them back. And I'm like, you guys must be really bored. Like if I were a musician, maybe I'd write a song or something, but most people seem to be like at a loss for what to do. Mm. Whereas I was like, Oh, I'll get out my political views, but I'm going to do it through comedy. You're, you're, I'm being followed because people think I'm funny. Right. So, the whole point of comedy, that's why I always gripe about the Dave Chappelle thing. And it's the same shit as the Louis C.K. where you're a hater, you're this. I'm like, if I can't make fun of Dave Chappelle when he's just giving lectures and doing impression, then what the fuck are we doing? Like, right. who, made him, who made him the Pope or a right. disabled kid that I can't mock? Like, he's a famous, <laughs> he's a super famous dude who's like become more of a philosopher because now when you hang out with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk, you, you move to a higher plane of humanity. Right. But it's, it's, you know, when I, when I, I don't even know the fuck, I'm sorry. I sometimes have these brain farts, but I, but the point was <laughs> like, come on, save it, save the tirade. Ha- my come hair on. is, my hair is growing out because I'm going to do a Malcolm Gladwell video tonight. <laughs> okay. And it's, I see well, it now that you mentioned it. <laughs> revisionist breakfast. Um, it's going to be him reviewing his breakfast talking about, I love it. anyway um but that won't get the views that won't get the clicks and the Chappelle impression to me I was like yeah everybody because everybody's sort of okay now with like as long as you're saying what people agree with he's a comedian and this isn't me saying he can't have opinions or thoughts but it's like but at what point do we just now start accepting? Like, because if you break down what Dave Chappelle was saying, if he wasn't Dave Chappelle, if he was just a regular guy, you'd be like, this guy's making some good points. Okay, yeah. good, good video. But when it's Dave Chappelle, it gets, you get to use all that comedy respect, yeah. which somehow makes you a more important thinker now. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Which it doesn't. And what I've tried to do is be like, I'll give you my thoughts mostly through comedy because I want you to, you're following me because I'm a comedian. So right. the, the skill in comedy was like, wow, that was really funny and also thoughtful. Not that was funny. Now let's move to the thoughtful portion of the show. Right. It's sort you know, of it's like integrating. If, and that's what Nanette, who I, I yeah. didn't think that special was all, I thought it was overrated, but whatever people liked it. But the same folks 
that's spoken word, bro. It's, what the fuck is that? Half of those people will be going, man, Dave Chappelle is the goat. Right. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Why? Why? Because he did a 10-minute talk? Well, and you like him better. That's really what it comes down to. It's like, remember right. Chappelle's show? I really like this guy. He was, I loved him when, when he was doing the funny stuff, you know? But this is, we're in a time now where it, you're right. The, the people that do the craft or the specific thing, this would be like if the Beatles had a podcast also when they were like the Beatles and they were like, at that time you wait for the album. You want to hear what John Lennon is thinking or whatever. Like they go away for a couple of years, right. when, especially studio session Beatles. Once they stop touring, like they go away for a couple of years then they drop an album and then maybe you get a, a couple interviews with them and they can talk, you know, they're obviously the biggest thing in the world, but you want to hear what they're thinking and hear where they are creatively, that's where you hear it. And then after the fact, I think they became a little more, um, well, they've always been like tremendous public figures, but like as solo artists or whatever, you would see George Harrison on Cavett or John Lennon on Cavett or, or what, you know, they would do more interviews and stuff like that where they, when they were making less music. But the other thing is like, this is, that sort of feels like where we're at with a lot of people where it's like, and that obviously brings us to the, the uh, Obama Springsteen podcast, which I, I wanted to get a, a, a quick thought analysis on you from, because this is sort of the same type of thing. The idea of Springsteen or the president doing a podcast together or, or even just like on their own, it, it, the idea of it up until, I don't know, a couple of years ago would have been, I don't, even, I don't even know if a couple of years ago, this year, the year before, see, would have seemed insane. The idea yes. of Springsteen even appearing on a podcast would have seemed insane. You well, now know? that I now that I did my first Jeep commercial, yeah. all bets are off. When was the last time Springsteen? Bruce Springsteen did- is selling DiGiorno pizzas now. <laughs> Two, three, four. Two, three. <laughs> For five dollars, big man, let's go. <laughs> uh i i there was this period these guys enter this period where they're like unreachable for radio interviews or, or something we had sting once when i was doing a um when i was still working at plj uh in new york sting came up once and the great race taylor did an interview with him but it was sting is not as big as springsteen first off but the fact that he had come up to the studio to do a 10 minute interview that in and of itself was like we weren't allowed we, the production team was allowed to be in the room to get right. what we had to get, like video, audio, whatever. Nobody else was allowed. Like there were no pictures. There were no, and, and there was like staff. You guys can't even be there. Like we're getting Sting in. He's doing the interview with Race and then he's out. And the pressure of that was just so high because it felt like this event. It was like, wow, Sting is here. Holy shit, we're going to sure. talk to Sting. And now Springsteen is like hosting a, a podcast. First off, Pretty pissed off that Springsteen and Barry O think that they can just barge in on my territory and start. start what do you, you think this podcasting thing is easy, fellas? Come on. Well, that's, <laughs> that's where we're at, though, is that anonymous people built it, created it, um, developed skills at it. Yeah. And then the money realizes, well, it's the same. It's the same thing that I complain about about comedy clubs. It's like JL Covan is here, and next week Jake the Snake Roberts, followed by Stormy Daniels, followed by Paulie Shore, followed by yeah. a, a really good veteran comedian, yeah. famous or not. And you know, it's unfortunate, but it just becomes. It's it become, the money is now going to be there for people. Period. 
the money is going to be there for, for, for famous people to exploit all these things. And the question is, do they exploit it or do they not? And that, the one thing I will say, two of the entertainers that I think we will really miss one day when they're gone and they'll, they'll be here for a while, um, Tom Cruise and Leonardo DiCaprio. Because mm. these dudes are the classic holdouts on like what a celebrity and what a movie star used to be. It's like, I don't do TV. Yeah. I'm not going to do a pod. Like I don't see those guys doing podcast. They're like, yeah. I am the top of this and I want to remain a gem, a, a precious metal. Like what I do, who I am, the, right. the skills and the, the career I've built are, will be limited you will, you will not get to see and know me beyond my work, beyond my very prestigious big work. And I think that's right. nice. That's why we I do like one movie a year with Martin Scorsese and yeah. then I hang out with supermodels. And then in Tom like, Cruise's case, he goes to Scientology church, whatever. That's right. Um, but it's, that's the thing that that's why celebrity. And now it's like accessibility. And it's like, it's like, fuck your accessibility. Like it, it, it it's frustrating because as a comedian, you're always going to be kind of accessible like that. And mm. social media is an accessible f- place, but like I've received this year so many, I don't know I'm long winded, but this year I've received so many emails from people saying, here's a sketch. Here's a skit you can use with your Trump or have you thought about doing this? And I'm sitting here going, you know me. I'm going to do this as Dave Chappelle. Please. You <laughs> know me because I have talent. I have, I'm holding a new porn in my fingers right now because I have <laughs> talent. It's called talent. You don't have shit. You know me. You like me because of what I did. What the fuck makes you think that I need you? And what makes you think you're funny enough to tell me what I should or can do with your bullshit? And it's one of those Thank things you, where I'm like, nobody. I had a guy write me five emails in a row with like a sketch he was working on. And he was like, Oh wait, no, I meant to do this. And then I wrote to him. I said, I'm not interested. I don't mean this as an insult, but I'm, I'm good with my stuff. But my advice to you is if you ever want to send a artist or famous person stuff, yeah. have it ready. Don't workshop it in real time when they're trying to give, show you some courtesy. Like if I wanted to pitch something to Jim Gaffigan or Judd Apatow, I'm proofreading it. I'm, but it's yeah. like this level of disrespect. It's not even intentional, but it's this kind of like, you're a guy on Twitter. I'm, I'm a guy on Twitter. So like, I'm going I'm to waste your time and I'm going to tell you what you should do. And I'm going to tell you, I've got a great idea that you should use. I'm a comedian and I don't have that kind of arrogance with other comedians. Right. But, right. it, but there's, there's this disposable nature. But if you are doing a um, uh, front-facing character on yes. Twitter, people <laughs> will, and I've said this about, about the left when it comes to, and I say this like I'm not part of the left, but it, when it comes to comedy, I sit in the middle. And yeah. I want free speech, and I also don't want people to be like uh, douchebags. Yeah. Um, but the – the left seems to want, and I found this a lot with Sarah Cooper. I got into it with Seth Abramson uh, on Twitter, a fucking piece of shit. Cur- curating journalist. You, you I love that all- we have 
We have named names on this podcast. You I love tweet it. all day, <laughs> Seth Abramson. That's all you do. Like, stop. You like read a bunch of articles and then go, please retweet this 90 tweet thread where I uncover. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. But when he came for me in comedy, because I, I had the audacity as a comedian to speak honestly of what I thought of Sarah Cooper's stuff. I said, that's great that she's making people happy, but it's hard for me to be like super enthused when I think what I do is way more difficult and better. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going to pretend, but you have to like, people now want comedians for their authenticity until they're authentic. And then they want you to be a guest on Jimmy Fallon and go, right. I think it's all great. Thanks right, for right, asking. Right, We're right. all doing good work. Yeah. I wouldn't be bullshit. the comedian I am if I was full of shit. Yeah, right, it's it's right. a weird thing where they want yeah. you to be like, you're so authentic. Please stop that. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I get but, you. <laughs> but when I answered in the Daily Beast, honestly, I said, I don't want to be sound condescending, but like, I think the lip sync videos are cute. And so many people retweeted that. Like, I don't want to be condescending, but here I am being condescending. <laughs> cute. What I wanted to reply to all of them was, oh, I think it's fucking horseshit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we are so fucking dumb. It makes me want to choke my comedy career to death to see the environment it's growing up in. Like I want to pull some Lenny in of mice and men and be like, I have to murder you comedy career because we live in a world now where half of the people think saying racial slurs is bold comedy. And right. the other half think in open mic or lip syncing is, is, is fucking Shakespeare meets Mark Twain. And when I saw that, like when, when Seth Abramson came for me, he was like, he broke down why her comedy is much better than mine. And I was like, this is why I hate, com like he, I said, you literally are making comedy sound not fun every time you tweet. Every yeah. time you talk about comedy, comedy dies a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Was, but, but I feel like the left can't just like comedy. Like I can laugh at a fart. Okay? Yeah. I can laugh at a fart. Don't I, can we also all? I can also laugh at some really brilliant, high-minded shit, but I'm not going to sit here like a progressive comedy fan and explain to you why the fart is not just a fart, but yeah. it's actually a meta-modern commentary <laughs> yeah, on yeah. greenhouse gases right. and our human inclination to destroy our own environment. That's why what he or she is doing is far more than a fart. And yeah. if you don't see it, it's like, Progressives seem to need comedy to reflect on them. That's why people kept telling me, well, as a black woman, you have to admit she's, and I'm like, I don't have to admit shit. I don't have to, I don't have guilt. I got a black dad. So I don't yeah. need to feel this kind of like, you're right. Let me squirm back into my cave of white comedy privilege and marvel right. at the tapestry of Benetton <laughs> ads that are making comedy so great. I can be me. Just because yeah, yeah. you don't see who I am, I know who I am. I live my life. I tell my comedy. But right. this, this whole fucking circus of the right has to feel like if your comedy is not hurting people, then right. it's not real. And the right. left is like, if comedy doesn't make me seem like a better person for supporting it, then is it comedy? Yeah. And I'm just sitting in the middle like, it's funny. Yeah. Can we have funny? Yeah, and yeah. I'm talking to both yeah, sides. Yeah, remember funny? <laughs> Don't worry about the cancel culture. You spend more time yapping about cancel culture than just doing comedy. And over here, shut your mouth, you unfunny, righteous liberal, and enjoy the show or get the fuck out. That's yeah. like, and I feel like, once again, I have to straddle the middle of like, I'm a good person, 
but I also want to be a great comedian. Can yeah. you let me exist in that space? It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, I, that was actually one of my first thoughts with this Obama Springsteen podcast was Ugh. that I, I was like listening to it. And I was like, I love Springsteen and I like Obama. Like I, I voted for Obama and, and I thought he was like a, a good enough president, whatever. And I, but the, for starters, I was thinking the same thing where I was like, there's a production team at Spotify. That's just like sick, man. I made Obama sound really great. Cause I know, I know after hearing these first two episodes, they just sat in a room for like a day. They were like three, four hours, whatever. However, like they, this cut, wasn't this cut project. Cut that check for 500 grand each. Yes. And it was just like, we'll talk, <laughs> like we'll spend an afternoon together and have coffee and talk about this stuff. And those guys will handle the tape. Like, they, like those guys just, just send the zoom files to Mike and whoever, and they'll just cut it up and turn it into a thing. So that was my first thought. Cause the way I was hearing it, I was like, it's clear to me that they were like, all right, this is hour one, hour two, hour three. But then the other thing, and this has always been like my biggest problem with Obama overall, like politics aside, like, I, I, you know, I have no real issues with Obama's politics at all. The one problem I always had with him was I always kind of felt like even through his presidency, that he was always building to this. Does that, is that, does that like a, feel like a fair critique to you that there was always I, just like, I always felt like, like at post-presidency, it was going to be like, we're going to start seeing Obama, like host a variety show or like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Host a game show. It's like, what? He was the president. Why yeah, is he doing I, this? I, I think some of the stuff he's doing, like the, the you know, he, him and his wife are making like meaningful movies. I think that's a worthwhile thing because you have to remember I did. I think because he was relative to all other presidents other than Clinton, mm. you know, I think if Bill Clinton had been president from 08 to 16, like if, if, if you take 45 year old Bill Clinton and make him president in the age of social media, I think you see the exact same thing because he was still a different kind of president, like, like a JFK, if he had not been killed and lived 50 yeah. years later because there's an appeal like with Obama, you heighten that because he was a good looking, young, charismatic and very different. So the brand was always going to be there in a way that it just wouldn't be with someone else. Yeah. Cool so, president. Yeah. I don't know if it was him doing it as opposed to it being almost just naturally was going to happen given the age we're in. Um, I wish him and Springsteen had not done a podcast yeah. I mean, Obama wrote a memoir, totally like that's, yeah, in that's the bounce. Yeah, yeah. And they're making these like very nice, good films about America and different things. So, and that feels like a natural, organic thing for the, the content times we're in. Um, but the podcast is like, is a step too far for me, just in terms of what I like. It, yeah. It's not to say like, oh, you're a sellout or you're bad. It's just like for Springsteen, it's like, why now? Why now are you yeah. like, you're hugely rich. You're a rock star. Like you are a DiCaprio, Tom Cruise type rock God. Yeah. Can't you, it doesn't make it bad or wrong, but it's almost like my preference is like, can you just stay the artist? Yeah. And I'm not a get out of politics. Don't get into politics type person. I'm not like stick to playing guitar. I just mean, You've been to, I never thought him being at a rally diminished him. Something no. about being on a podcast yeah. seems to diminish him. Well, like, Cause in my mind, it just seems like they, like, <laughs> like the reason he did it was cause like, like the Barack team reached out to the Springsteen team and was like, Hey, uh, president Barack Obama would like to just sit down and talk to Springsteen for 
five hours and record it. Is that something Bruce would be into? And Bruce is probably just like, fuck it. Yeah. Like, if you want to come to New Jersey to my studio and like Eat my sit here and have Martin coffee. Scorsese and friendly bullets. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like, I, and I, I can understand that as the pitch. Just like, who the hell wouldn't want to hang yeah. out with uh, like Obama for a couple hours and just like right. kind of have, I, I, I know you haven't really like, listened to it yet, but I, I listened to both episodes in like, Springsteen has been a huge rock star forever. There is a lot of smoke being blown up Springsteen's ass by the fucking former president, which is cool. Like, I, who wouldn't want that? Like, if I was sitting here and, and the president was just like, Mike, I got to tell you, you know, you're really revolutionizing the podcast space. Uh, and, you know, and- podcasting okay, was, uh, you know, wasn't what it is today. And I think uh, I think you would agree that you had a, uh, a major role in uh, in cultivating that. Exactly. And and on top of that, it's not even just it's not even just them talking about Springsteen's career. It's also talking about like Springsteen as in some ways a civil rights hero. Like who the hell wouldn't want to be in the room hearing that from the first black president of the United States to be like, (laughs) Bruce, thank you so much for everything you've done for the civil rights movement and all you've done like, like, like for small town America and all that stuff. Like, of course you're going to want to do that. I completely understand it, but it's just so funny to me. Like when it dropped, they were just like, all right. Like the two of them were doing like a fucking like morning drive yuck yucks podcast where it's just like, how like you and I would be like, hey, JL, want to do a podcast together? We can just like have we can talk for an hour every week and have fun. Like That aspect of it is kind of mind blowing to me that they were just like, hey, man, fuck it. Let's do a podcast like everybody else does. It's like, yeah, that's, you know? that's why I wish. And like I said, I don't have any issue. I don't even have an issue with this, but just on an instinctive level, I'm like, Obama writing books, making movies that mean something to I'm no problem. Like, yeah. I don't I have no a podcast is such a, like a common folk thing. I know. (laughs) That I don't want rock icons and presidents doing podcasts. Like I don't even mind that Hillary Clinton did a podcast as much. Yeah. She never became president, but even her, I was like, eh, I'm a Hillary fan. I know not everybody is, but as a, I was like, "Mm, I don't think, I mean, maybe my mom will listen to it and that'll make her happy. But like overall, I'd be like, Hillary, don't do a podcast. Yeah. Just, be a book like be we need people this is what i try to teach my comedy fans i i say i have a relationship with my fans that resembles private pile and the drill sergeant in full metal jacket <laughs> where i'm i feel like it's Healthy. up to me to educate you on how to be a comedy fan yeah like i'm not saying you have to like what i do but here's how we're going to interact because I'm grateful for fans, but don't ever get it twisted that this is a collaboration or that I'm not better at this by leaps and bounds than you. I'm better than most comedians. So I'm certainly better than most comedy fans. Right. (laughs) And so it's this idea of like, sometimes, you know what, without being arrogant, it's okay to be better than somebody. I don't mean as a person, but that your station, that what you do, the work you've put in, the career you've achieved, it's okay that you're, at a different level. It needs to be. We've gotten to this point where everybody, hey, you need to interact. You need to have, you need to cultivate that relationship. And I think that's, that's why I love DiCaprio and Cruz. Yeah. Even more so than George Clooney, who still sort of embodies a little bit of an old school Hollywood celebrity. Yeah. I like the part of what makes me me is the rarity is that you just have to admire my talent. You don't get to know everything about my life. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I'm with you. I, and I, I think that for me with politics specifically, there is an element of, um, I don't fully understand why they don't go in more, just more into, I guess they can't go into private life. I, it, it's a tricky thing, but it, it's weird to me to go back to like a certain era. Even the Clintons aren't, they stayed active politically. That they, sort they, of they did all the political things that like they started a foundation. They did yeah. charity, they they were politically active. They didn't right. You know, Bill Clinton was more pop culture yeah. when he was running for president right. than Saxophone as a post president. Yeah. yeah, That's why I said I think if Clinton had been elected at the same time as Obama as a young new kind of generational president, even though he wouldn't have had the racial element, yeah. I think you would have seen a. a a Clinton post-presidency that would have been closer to Obama's. Um, yeah. So I don't, you know, I think that's the nature of the times we're in and it's a balance and Obama's obviously super smart. So he's striking whatever balance. I guess his wants. youth also has something to do with it. I, I just think of it like, 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 so Trump, we know, or unless he ends up in jail for taxes or, you know, whatever they try to get him for, we're safe to assume that he's going the media route. Uh, is it not <laughs> i mean like he he's gonna be launching like one trump america network or something yeah, he's just, right he's just gonna have orgies with one oan uh, reporters yeah. every friday for right. happy hour <laughs> so i can't imagine that when that comes out and maybe this is just again going back to like the how divided the country is right now but i can't imagine that the reception of whatever his next media move is going to be um I can't imagine it being positive. I can't imagine people are like, oh, yes, Trump's putting out a podcast with Kid Rock. Sick. Like, it, this is going to be awesome. You know what I mean? I just can't see it happening. I'm so glad you what... said Kid Rock because that was what was in my head for yeah, a special sketch. He's the guy. It's, it's either him I was like, or what Ted would be Nugent? funnier, Ted Nugent or Kid yeah. Rock? I said, I think Kid Rock would be funnier. <laughs> but it's just like, and I'm just thinking about it from that point of view. And obviously, like, Obama is. But again, I was going to say Obama's cooler, but going back to your whole thesis about the right comedian and the left comedian, uh, the people on the right think that Trump is fucking really cool. You know, they yeah. think that's like part of his whole thing is just like this guy says what he wants, does what he wants. And like, yeah, Trump podcast would be sick because he's just going to say the N word. He's just going to say it. And he doesn't like <laughs> care. You know what I mean? He's just gonna, it's going to be awesome. And like, we're all going to look at that and be like, oh, God, fuck this. This is horrible. But right. I th I'm sure there'd be people in America who are just like, I can't wait for one America Trump news network or whatever it's going to be, you know? So it's we'll just look at odd Morgan, to me. Morgan Wallen, that country singer, his, his yeah. album has like it's number one sales ever since he said the N-word. Yeah, it, it like boosted his career. He was like a disgraced country artist until and he made so all that generic. money. And he's generic. Like when I saw him on, on SNL, I was like, unlike when I saw, what's his name? The guy, Chris Stapleton who yes. I actually think is good. Very good, yeah. Yeah. Although he has one song, and I can't believe he's escaped this. It's a fucking ripoff of I'd Rather Go Blind by Tennessee Billie Whiskey. Holiday. Tennessee yeah. Whiskey. Yeah. It's, um, I, it's the same chord progression. Oh, my everything. God. I thought when I, exactly when I played the, the album, I was like, oh, did he do – I'm not kidding. I was like, I oh, did he do I'd Rather Go – oh, good, like a cover. Cool. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck song is this? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of his biggest songs. And it, it, not only and did he get away it, with it's it, a he – It's a total – it's, yeah. like, 
I'm not the music guy. I'm like, I'm yeah. still trying to figure out how Sam Smith ripped off Tom Petty. I still yeah. don't get that. Yeah. And yet I, I knew on like note three, I was it's like, a note oh, for notes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a note <laughs> for note barrel. I was like, oh, I'd rather go blind. What the fuck is this now? <laughs> and, but I think he has some great songs. So I remember when I heard him on SNL, I bought his albums because I was like, oh, I like that. And a lot of the bluesier, you know, the bluesier rock kind of yeah. country. But the, and then he has a song that he, I feel like he kind of ripped off George Jones, not to flex my country music, but I listened to one podcast by Malcolm Gladwell and then watched a Ken Burns documentary. And I now am a country historian. But takes- George Jones had this song about, um, he stopped loving her today, which is like a country classic. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, what happened? And you realize, spoiler, he died. So uh-huh. it's like the oath of like, till death do us part. So right. you thought it was like, what'd she do? Did she cheat on her man? And then at the end of the song, you're like, oh, he died. Like it's a, it's a bittersweet romance song. Yeah. And Chris Stapleton did a song based like, he stopped praying today. <laughs> and like the whole song is like, he like basically made the same song, except did he become an atheist? Oh, he died. That's why he's <laughs> suffering. I'm like, that's the same song, Chris same Stapleton. Song. Total country cliche, but... But that said, he has a couple of songs that I think are just absolutely fucking awesome. Yeah. And then I heard Morgan Wallen, because I, I don't follow a lot of music. So SNL can sometimes be my, oh, I've heard of this person. Let's see what they got. Yeah. His, his music struck me as so generic country, like so generic. Like, yeah. went down to the bar met my girl in my pickup truck yeah. and we had some whiskey burn barrel like i was like this is like the guy right now yeah. come on and then you know said the yeah. n-word and they all got his back yeah that's the thing <laughs> it's like we i really do think that so maybe the podcast is necessary because uh, i don't know like I, I just can't imagine a world where the trump reception is is anything but controversial then this doesn't really seem all that controversial but i just wonder if this is the move moving forward for president like his i mean biden will not well that's one term nursing home but all jokes aside that's why i think joe biden is kind of good as a as a cultural reset yeah you not talking race or gender but like it's probably good that we have a president who was a senator for 36 years before social media that looks at even if his worldview is a little less progressive than some might like or too progressive for others his view of the presidency is like a sacred, serious job. I'm right. not a celebrity. I'm the right, president. Right. I'm a serious person. That in and of itself, I think, is a really valuable reset. Where Whatever you are politically, like somebody who's clearly not going to use this as a launching pad right. or a platform. Yeah, to, to or a development in, deal. <laughs> like, are we going to have an influencer president one day who's like, right. check out well, my State of the thing. Union on, on TikTok. <laughs> how, much, how much show business did we just talk where it's like, how many comedians like you stand up to eventually get their deal with ABC or what? I know, you know, we know uh, so many people, that's like the move, you know? I never would have thought that the presidency would be the stepping stone where it's just like, yeah, dude, I'm just doing this for eight years and then I'm going to get my TV deal and then I'm fucking out of here. You know what I mean? Like, and Trump really did. Like Trump, they were like, he wanted to boost his brand. He yeah. is, that's something that's not talked about enough that Trump, I'm, I'm going to write this, Trump, the first influencer president. He was, yeah. I mean, you could maybe say that Obama is- but Ob- Obama, I think Obama didn't 
because he was president when social media started exploding, but I think he was very restrained with it. Whereas yeah, Trump was fair. the first to be like, I'm like Obama was like, I'm the president while social media is exploding. Trump is like, I'm going to use social media to become very famous while president. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's going to be great. For, it's uh, very strong. Okay. You know this. You know it. Very strong for my brand. And uh, we're doing very powerful things right now. You can, you can follow your president on TikTok and uh, your first lady on OnlyFans. And, uh, you know, it's... What a, what a, like for all those people who are like apolitical or whatever, I'm always like, don't you want the president to be serious? And yeah, like, right. If, if, if you have to pick one, if you can't have a decent person who's also competent, don't you want one of yeah. those two things? Like he's an awful person and like bad and uninterested in the job. Like there's, right. there's no reason to vote for him unless he's your bro mascot for racist power. <laughs> Which right, he is, right. <laughs> which for most people, he's like, yes, he's fighting for white rights and yeah. our country's culture. Yeah. And so the last question, because we, we got to get out of here. You've been very gracious with your time and I appreciate that. Yeah, just um, got to get back to my day job now. That's if anybody wants to <laughs> know how, it, if anybody wants to know how it is being a two percenter in comedy. <laughs> um, last year, I made enough to like, you know, buy a fucking home and a Tesla. I didn't. But yeah. Um, but on top now I'm still working a day job because I have that little faith in the comedy <laughs> ecosystem. I'm like, people are dumb. Like I wrote, I wrote, I did a podcast that was very well listened to for me called only stupid fans. Yeah. It was basically me <laughs> taking my own fans to task for being bad comedy fans. Yeah. Well, so speaking of podcasts, what's, what do you guys, what's next for making podcasting great? Cause Trump's um, out. Yeah, we, 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 I have told, I've been, I don't know if Jay takes me seriously because we've, we're now, because of what happened to me in March, we got in, we got advertising. Yeah. We went from, you know, 600. Dream. Yeah. We went from 600 downloads a week to like at our peak, we were at like 18,000 a week. Yeah. And now we're still five figures, but it's dip, you know, now we're like 11, 12, but we have this very strong, loyal group who just, we're pitching it more as like a, a comedy political comedy podcast where Trump is now just a pundit from Mar-a-Lago. Mm. Um, but I've told Jay, this is the last year. Like, got it. I'm, I'm, if he comes back to run for president again, well, that's yeah, I would, I'm sure, I'm sure we would re we would bring it back. Um, but if that happens, that, ha that is blank for JL Covan. What is that? Annoying. Okay. <laughs> Could have been a million words put in there. <laughs> um, because I will say this, the podcast fans are probably my favorite fans. Yeah. And I'm sure that is like, even though it's a Trump podcast, they get, you, you obviously are familiar with the show. We go pretty raw. The Patreon episodes we do are even more raw. Yeah. And yet, they stay with us and I think they like it. And it's nice because then I know the boundaries of our fan base. And a few people will justifiably say that episode was a little too much. And I'll go, yeah, 
like you're 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 right. Like yeah. I don't dis. I'm not gonna write back to you and go. This is what comedians do. Right. If you can't deal with it. Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I get it. I'm a human being. Sometimes we. I I have had one or two episodes where I go. That was uh, like at the end of the episode. I talked about the Tonys. The last time we had the Tony Awards. Okay. Like the real Tony before it was like three plays nominated because everything else got shut down. But yeah. two years ago, this cute woman, she's in a wheelchair, but she won supporting featuring featured actress in a musical for Oklahoma. She mm. gave a very nice speech, very pretty girl and um, a decent chest on her. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just describing, but uh -huh. as Trump, I went into a discussion of how tragic it was, you know, like sometimes when an ugly person is in a wheelchair, you know, it's no big loss. But when you have like a cute blonde with acting talent and a rack, you feel extra bad, you know, you feel extra bad. And it's funny as you're laughing, it's funny. I apologized after the episode because it was like weighing on me and I go, guys, I don't want to sound like a pretentious actor. Yeah. But I get into, I really just go with it. Like yeah, yeah. for an hour a week, I just get into character and I go where it, I know it sounds so fucking pretentious to say this, but I think no, that's but why it doesn't. the podcast is good. I really get into the character. And sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not thinking like jail. I'm just like, this would be funny because Trump is this terrible a person. Right. But at the end I was like, guys, if that was offensive, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't feel yeah. that good about it. So I'm yeah. sorry if that like left you with a bad taste in your mouth. It's a risk of this podcast. Being Literally scripted. as it's coming out of your mouth, I'm hearing it. And I think one of the reasons why your impression, in my opinion, is the best is because they are things that I feel like Trump would be saying. Like I can imagine being in a room with Trump, hearing him say that about like a disabled person, just being like, like well, yeah, so those, those breasts on any other woman, beautiful, you know, but you know, this, this is somebody, you know, the Tony, you know, Marla Maples was an actress. She didn't have that kind of talent. <laughs> and if this woman, if this woman was walking with that talent and that kid face and that, those tits, I would say, like, you know, we should date you. Would you like to come to Trump Tower? But not, we don't even have the handicap accessible. So I can't get her up there. You know, we're not, we're not building disability ramps. Okay, it's a luxury building. We don't do that. That, like, what I just said is yeah, gross, yeah. but it's also... Totally believable. Totally believable. <laughs> totally believable. I hear so it. the point is, the podcast will go another, will go this year. And I feel like because we have a, it's not a money grab because I can do without the... Uh, I don't know, between Patreon and ads, the 1400 a month is, hey man. Or, or 1600 a month is nice, but it's not worth, it's not enough money to be like, we just got to keep fucking doing it. It's yeah, a nice yeah, yeah. little bonus each month. So that's, that's, I'm grateful for it and grateful yeah. to the fans, but I'm going to, I can do this for another year. Like the first year of Biden's presidency, he'll still be in the, he's obviously in the news. Right. But I think, barring if he announces he's running again yeah i would continue back. doing it yeah. outside of that it's it's a show it, it you, you wrap it up like any other show that's yeah. not a, a current events like the character is the key to the show even though we cover current events right um and i felt like this year was more like a thank you to fans who really got engaged with it but after that it's like hopefully some of them transfer over to righteous prick my, my podcast in my own righteous pk if anybody wants to hear me ranting and raving like this but without mike 
Um, <laughs> um, which nobody will. They're like, hey, he really needs a, a chaser. He's this really has just like been a- like us having dinner. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's how it's felt. <laughs> well, you know, that's when I, when I fought for civil rights. Thank you, Barry, for <laughs> respecting that. Two, three, four. Uh, well, right. no, that's, <laughs> I don't think we have any Barack Obama without a Bruce Springsteen. I think you're the real boss. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And you are, you know, the, you're the POTUS. You're there. I think when we elected you, we showed this country could unite and come together for something more than just politics. <laughs> for, uh, Mary, and can I talk about Mary for a second? <laughs> right. I, think, I, think that's, I think we got to call it. Uh, JL, tell people where they can find you. Plug whatever you'd like to plug. Right. Um, this will only take 40 minutes. No, please. Um, my website is jlcomedy.com. Uh, there you can find links to my YouTube channels, my two podcasts, my cameos, if you want a personal message uh, for somebody you hate or love, um, as one of my impressions. Uh, so lots of, and my albums, my store page has all eight of my albums, six stand up, two, two as Trump, and a, a seventh one being recorded this year once I can get out to uh, some clubs. Um, but thank you for having me. And yeah, if you like anything, if you like the impressions or, or if you're just curious, there's tons of free stuff for you to sample. And uh, I welcome all of your opinions on social media on comedy. Hail <laughs> Coven, everybody. Thanks again for being here, buddy. <laughs> Listeners, uh, obviously, we're at the end here. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, you know what to do. If you want to find me on social media, I'm at Mike Coscarelli on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and you can find Ronnie Side, the associate producer, who has is always seen but not heard, uh, at Ronnie Side on Instagram. Um, and if you want to send anything directly to me, coskrules at gmail.com, C-O-S-C rules at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, goodbye. Mike Coscarelli Rules is hosted by Mike Coscarelli. Associate producer, Ronnie Side. Executive producer, Mike Coscarelli. Supervising producer, Mike Coscarelli. Edited by Mike Coscarelli. Sound design by Mike Coscarelli. Podcast and social artwork by Chris Cheney. Special thanks to all the losers and the haters.